You know, the story is told of a young man by the name of Larry who was an avid golfer and he found himself one afternoon with a few hours to spare before he had to be home. Always had his golf clubs in his trunk in case he was able to do something like this. So he heard out, hurried out to one of his favorite uh, golf courses and thought he could at least get in nine. So as he goes out, you know, there's nobody around. He figured, oh, this is going to be great. I can just kind of blow and go. And, you know, he goes up to the tee. And just as he's about ready to tee off, this older man comes shuffling over. And he goes, hey, Sonny, do you mind if I join you? And he went, oh, man. He goes, no, that's fine. You know, and, and uh, so, you know, the guy, the older guy joins him. And, you know, he doesn't hit the ball far, but he hits it straight. And he kind of he keeps up with, with the pace. And so, you know, Larry's not too upset about the fact that this guy joined him. And, 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 you know, and it turns out that the guy had played this course for years and years and years. And so it worked out fine. Finally, they reached the ninth fairway, and Larry found himself with a pretty tough shot. He had hit a, he had a, hit a ball, and it landed right behind a pine tree that was probably 40 to 50 feet tall. And his ball was directly behind the tree in line where, where, where the green was. You know, and he stood there and he was trying to figure out what to do. And finally, the old man gave him a little advice. You know, he said, you know, when I was your age, Sonny, I just hit that ball right over that tree. <laughs> you know, and that's all Larry needed to hear, right? So he cranks up and just wails on this thing. And sure enough, he catches the tree right dead in the center of the trunk, about 20 feet off the ground. The ball comes flying right back at him, almost hits him and kills him. And he was just stunned by all this. And he was just standing there in shock, looking at his next shot. And, and he looked over and the old man was kind of smiling. And, and he said, what's so funny? He goes, of course, uh, when I was your age, that tree was only about three feet tall. <laughs> You know, perspective. Perspective is crucial. You know, sometimes when things are going, you know, a little bit difficult for us, everything seems hopeless and pointless. And only after some time do we gain a proper perspective uh, that events come into, po- you know, into focus as we look back on them and the lessons become more obvious. Sometimes it's harder, you know, when, when, when you look at something that's ahead of us trying to figure out what's going on. But when it's behind us, you know, it's a lot easier to figure out. You know, like the older man had an, uh, an advantage because he had a perspective that said, oh, I've got a big picture in mind. And all Larry heard was the challenge of, you know, hitting the ball over the tree. And so, you know, when, when you think about that, it's important to note that perspective uh, can also be prospective which means that instead of perspective having to do with looking back on situations and say, oh, that's what God was doing, or oh, that's what God was teaching us through this process, prospective is a little more difficult because that has to do with looking into the future to see events that haven't happened yet and still recognize that there's a purpose and plan behind that. You know, when you have the idea, for example, in sports, we often hear a a talk about a team's top prospects, you know, their individual talent that, you know, organizations look at and hope uh, that they'll be the key to a successful future. When they talk about, you know, this, this guy is our, pro, he's our top prospect. He's a person that we're hoping that we can build a team around, not only him, but this prospect and that prospect and this one. And if we get enough of them put together in the future, we're going to have a really good organization. 
And so it's looking forward to those events. You know, in the financial community, we receive pamphlets often called a prospectus, which uh, outlines the financial hopes or expectations of a company. And the purpose is to encourage investors today. So if you put all this together, prospects are signed today in light of what teams hope that they'll do in the future. A prospectus gives us an idea of the value or what stocks may be worth in the future. So stocks are purchased today or investments made today in light of what investors hope will produce a future return. So, you know, and often emphasizing the importance of getting in on the ground floor when the prices are low. You know, those who save for their child's college fund or a future home down payment or wedding, uh, wedding uh, you know, funds or a rainy day or retirement from an occupation live prospectively. You know, live with the future in mind that affects decisions today. See, and, and that kind of perspective is harder because it requires faith and accounts on events that have yet to occur. You know, and it's different from living strictly according to, you know, present needs and gratifications. And that's the focus of Jesus' teaching in Luke chapter 12, starting with verse 35 through 59. If you've got your Bibles, you know, these teachings flow out of the previous discussions about priorities, values of seeking God's kingdom first before anything else, and everything else in this life falls into place. Uh, if you'll look at this in verse um, chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, let's pick it up at verse 35. In this, Jesus addresses the all-important qu- question, are you ready? Are you ready? Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps alight. And be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master shall find on the alert when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. Whether he comes in the second watch or even the third and finds them so, blessed are those slaves." And be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. And Peter said, Lord, are you addressing this parable to us or to everyone else as well? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and sensible steward, whom his master will put in charge of his servants? to give them their rations at their proper time. Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will not put him in charge of all of his possessions. But if the slave says in his heart, my master will be a long time in coming and begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and to eat and drink and to get drunk, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he does not know. And he will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. And that slave who knew his master's will and did not act or was not ready and according with his will shall receive many lashes. He says, but the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. And from everyone who has been given, much shall be required. 
and to whom they entrusted much of him they will ask all the more. I have come to cast fire upon the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? I tell you no, but rather division. For from now on, five members in one household will be divided, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And he was also saying to the multitudes, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately, immediately you say, a shower is coming. And so it turns out. And when you see a south wind blowing and you say it will be a hot day, it turns out that way. You hypocrites, you know how to analyze the appearance of the earth and of the sky. And why do you not analyze this present time? And why do you not even on your own initiative judge what is right? For while you are going with your opponent to appear before the magistrate, on your way there, make an effort to settle with him in order that he may not drag you before the judge. And the judge turn you over to the constable, and the constable throw you into prison. I say to you, you shall not get out of there until you have paid the very last cent. In this passage, Jesus shifts the emphasis from being worried about the present, as we saw in our last message, to being watchful about the future. And the themes in Luke 12 all go together for one of the best antidotes uh, for hypocrisy, And for greed and for worry is to be living ready for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, if you think about the simple logic to his questions, it's this. You know, if we God's people truly believed Jesus could return today, would we be hypocritical? And the answer is, well, of course not, because we're told that at that time he will expose things for as they truly are. If I really believe Jesus is coming today and I was being hypocritical in my lifestyle, I'd say, wait a minute, you know what? I need to, I need to confess or re- and repent because he's going to expose that. If I really believe that Jesus was coming today, would I be greedy? Would I be so focused on material things because when he returns, those material things don't mean anything because they're only temporal in nature. nature they're not eternal. So would I live for money? Would I live for material things? Would I, as the foolish farmer, would I be storing all these things up for the future when I realize that, well, why would I do that? Because today the Lord is returning. If I realize that the Lord and really believe that the Lord could return today, would I worry about tomorrow? Would I be concerned about a a surgery on Thursday? Would I worry about a CAT scan on Tuesday? Would I worry about this, that, or the other thing This sometime this week or next week or two months from now or a year from now? If I really believe Jesus was returning, would I not, you know, worry about, would I worry about anything? You know, that's why Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't be anxious for tomorrow because each day has enough trouble of its own. You know, none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. It's appointed for man to die once, then comes judgment. And if not, the Lord is returning. If I really believe these things, would, would it not affect the way that I live my life? And so with that all in mind, I'll ask you the question that I ask of myself, and that's this. Are you ready? Are you ready for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ? 
you know, as I was trying to come up with a title for this message and, and first thought of, you know, are you ready? You know, knowing me as you do now, what do you think immediately came to mind? Are you ready? Are you ready for some football? I mean, you know, Hank Williams Jr. starts singing the theme in my head. It's like, you know, are you ready for some football? I mean, are, are you really ready? You know, Monday night, you know, the, there's, there's the Monday night football games. There's the Hank Williams theme going on in the background. You know, I'm thinking about, uh, you know, how many times we had folks over our house. Monday night football, you know, a Monday night football party. We, we would do it and we'd have our whole family over and friends over. And every Monday night we would be anxiously waiting for, you know, are you ready for this great event? And it's like in the game really was, was secondary. It was, are you ready? What do we have in this week? And it was like laying out the menu, you know, and all day, you know, th- throughout the course of the day or even Sunday and that Sunday afternoon. Hey, we on for Monday night. What are we going to have Monday night? Oh, how about P.F. Chang's? Oh, not bad, you know. And you go through this whole list of things and the whole day it's like, oh, man, you know what? Monday night, this is, you know, this, this great expectation, this great excitement, this great anticipation, enthusiasm for food that I can no longer ever again eat. Uh, you know, it's kind of like, are, are you ready, you know? And, and you know, in these frequent conversations about are you ready, and I thought, wow, you know, do we have the same sense of anticipation for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when was the last time that you had a conversation with others about that big event? Are you ready for him to return? Are you ready for Jesus? You know, we get all excited about Monday Night Football and excited about what our menu is going to be. And, you know, if you stop and think about, you know, all of these events in your life. You know, when was the last big event that you anticipated? You know, a college graduation, a, you know, a, a, a wedding, a, an engagement. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, think about what, what do you have coming up that you are anticipating and looking forward to and, and getting ready for? It's like we get so excited about, you know, the things of earth. How much more excited should we be about, you know, are you ready for the return of Jesus? I mean, that, that, and that's the text that we see here before us. And before we get to that, I want to just share some thoughts with you uh, that, that were really convicting to me and, and, and very penetrating from the, from the reality of the Scripture's teaching about the return of Jesus Christ. You know, 24 of the 27 books of the New Testament refer to the return of Jesus. One out of every 25 verses in the New Testament talk about the truth of Jesus Christ's return to this earth. Jesus himself, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Mark 13, 26 and 27. You know, in the upper room on the eve of his death, he promised, he said, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. John 14. As was mentioned earlier, Paul writes to the Philippians, But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious one. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Another reminder of the truth of the second coming of our Lord and Savior. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in a passage that regards, you know, that was, was a result of a question regarding those, what happens to those who have died? And in verse 13 it says, But we don't want you to be uninformed, brother, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. The return of Jesus Christ is promised all through Scripture. John in the book of Revelation says, Look, He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see Him, even those who have pierced Him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of Him. I am the Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. A living hope, the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. With all this in mind, at this point in the Gospel of Luke, we find the first extended teaching on the second coming. And as Jesus warned his followers to be ready, and as I've already mentioned, Jesus saw readiness for his return as the antidote for hypocrisy, greed, and worry. Christians are supposed to live prospectively. The Bible says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. We're to live prospectively, looking for the future, knowing that the events that God has promised for the future are just as uh, secure that they will occur as all of those events that have occurred in the past that were predicted in the past before their occurrence. So we're to look forward to everything that God has in the future and live accordingly, prospectively. You know, the conviction of things not seen. You know, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So in this particular passage, we're going to look at four problems that relate to being ready for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first one that we see is in verses 35 through 40. And here Jesus identifies the problem of uh, preparation. The problem of preparation back in Luke's gospel, chapter 12, verse 35, to teach this truth on being ready for Jesus, his return, he, he used uh, two common occurrences of his day. The first thing that he used uh, and he pointed to was that of of, uh, servants. He said, be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps alight and be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes. For us, it's not as clear as it was for his hearers in that day, but the bottom line is this, Jewish weddings, the celebrations could last for several days. And so the time of a master's return was anybody's guess. But the uncertainty didn't put off these excellent servants. Though it was late at night, they were dressed for service and lamps were lit. The word gird yourself or be ready, uh, be dressed, had the idea of they had their, 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 um, uh, their... 
basically the, the robe that they wore, or the smock that they wore, or whatever it was, that the outer garment, they would take it and they would pull up that so it didn't cause them to be encumbered when they walked, and they would tuck it into their belt. That's why Peter later, when he wrote, inspired by the Spirit of God, gird yourselves, gird your minds for action. Be prepared to act as God would have us to act. It was a word picture that he learned when Jesus himself girded himself and then washed his servant, washed the disciples' feet as an example of what they should do and also symbolic of what he will one day again do. And so what he was saying to them is, hey, you need to be dressed and you need to be ready for action. And he took the common, you know, a common servant and said, look, just like these servants were ready for their master's return. And think about it. They never knew when he was coming back. They were dressed in the middle of the night, ready for his return so that they would be unencumbered when he showed up. When he came and knocked at the door, he didn't wake them up. They were alert. They were ready to go. They were ready to serve. Now, for us, it's hard for us to really understand in our culture. But, but uh, about a couple of weeks ago, I was watching a show. Did you see the show that was on PBS? It was called Colonial House. And, and uh, you know, and, and, and this is, hey, I'm always looking for illustrations. But, uh, you know, in the Colonial House, what they did was they took a group of people and they took them back to New England. And, and they set them up in a little village that would be similar to a village that would have existed in the 1670s. And what was fascinating to me, all the things that we take for granted, it was made, made aware of as I watched the show. For example, if you wanted a fire to be burning, someone had to be in charge of making sure the fire never went out. Now, for us, we walk into our kitchen. If you have a gas stove, you turn the stove on. And then, you know, you're able to cook. When you're done, you turn it off. It's great. You know, things that, yeah, you know, we take for granted. These are great things that, you know, I have a newfound appreciation for. Or, you know, if it's hot in the house, you go in and you flip the thermostat on and it gets cold. If you're cold, you flip the thermostat on and, and it gets warm. And, and yet, here these people were and they said, okay, your job, you know, is to make sure the fire never goes out. So that not only can we cook when we need to cook, but it also will warm up the house because it's freezing in here. And they were talking, and you could see their breath coming out. You know, I was like, okay, who's going to be in charge of making sure the fire's always lit? And I'm thinking somebody felt a sense of urgency to make the, sure the fire was already lit. Things that we take for granted in our culture, you know, they didn't take for granted. And so what he was saying was, is that, look, you need to make sure that all of the candles are lit. You need to make sure that you're dressed for action, because we can't just flip the light switch on or the security lights come on when the master comes up the sidewalk or the driveway and the lights come on and everybody goes, oh, the lights went on. Somebody's coming up the driveway, you know, because it doesn't happen. So you need to make sure that everything was lit, ready for his return. You had to go and light all those candles, make sure they never went out. You made sure that, you know, basically the wick was a, it was a, was a wick that was floating in oil and you always had to make sure it was trimmed and that it wouldn't burn down. And it was a, con- I mean, it was a constant battle to be alert. And I thought, man, isn't that the case for us? It is a constant spiritual battle for God's people to be alert and ready for the coming of our Savior. Because we're so easily distracted. And not only easily distracted, but we take so many things for granted. And he used this word picture to help them to understand of, you know, what it takes to be ready. Have you ever gone to like a bank or a store or a restaurant 
and felt like you were interrupting the personal life of the one who was being paid to serve you? Have you, have you ever been there? You know, you know, the server that can't be bothered yet expects a tip. And, and, and you almost want to say, here's a tip for you. Hey, come here. I want to just share a tip with you. You know, work hard. Pay attention to your customer. Take care of their needs. And oh, by the way, smile and have a good attitude. And at the end of the day, tips will take care of themselves. I mean, that's kind of, you know, that's the world that we live in. We're not good at serving because we're so self-centered in our culture. We're not good at meeting the needs of others. We're not even good at seeing those needs. But God's people are to be transformed, not conformed to this world. We're to look for the needs that others have even before they know they have that need. And we're to reach out and meet that need. We're to serve. We're to be ready to serve. You know, when you think about our culture versus this, what a beautiful contrast. You know, here there are warm lights, you know, streaming from the windows. These, these servants were up and they were ready. They were eager. And you know what? And, and they probably had a, a plate of uh, sugar-free cookies and soy milk, you know, sitting out for them. You know, and, you know they, had, they were ready for them, you know. It's kind of like, here he comes. There, we're ready for you. You know, and, and it's kind of like, here, sit down. Let us wash your feet. We're glad that you're home. You know, the point is very simple. You know, let's not have bad attitudes or be troubled by what God requires of us. Let's cheerfully serve him by serving his people who no doubt can be difficult to deal with at times. And let's do so living prospectively because notice what we have to look forward to. It says, blessed are those slaves when the master, whom the master shall find on the alert when he comes. Truly, I say to you, now notice this, that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. Whether he comes in the second watch or even the third and finds them so, blessed are those slaves." Now, I want you to to grasp this for a second. There's a day when our Lord will return that we talk about how we will serve him, but he will turn around and serve us. And in Revelation chapter 19, we see a picture of what we can expect. People will come from the east and the north and the south and they will take their places at, their, at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. Luke thirteen twenty nine. And again, in Revelation 19, verses 6 through 9, we read these words of a future promise. Hallelujah. It says, And I heard it as if it were the voice of a great multitude. And as the sound of many waters and the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has been made ready. And it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. One day we will all as God's people 
enter into the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we will celebrate joyfully what all He has accomplished on our behalf. We will look and see, as, as I said, a great peals of thunder, the multitudes of people. We will see his, you know, that we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. We will see God's trophies presented for all of eternity, which are you and I who have come to repent of our sin and trust in Christ. We will see the redemptive work of the Lamb through human history and see all that He accomplished at the cross and at His resurrection. And we will look joyfully joyously and celebrate there will be no more sorrow there will be no more sadness there will be no more sickness there will be no more bodies that decay we'll have gloriously resurrected bodies such as our lord has and we will not suffer any longer we will the the fullness of his joy will be experienced as we are in his presence you know and the bible tells us that these people were waiting up for the master to come, and rightfully so. And they did so with smiles on their faces because he was a master worthy of serving. And yet when the master came, he turned around as he did several months later in the upper room and symbolically washed their feet, the atoning work of Christ that was complete at the cross and at his resurrection. And then also when we see prophetically, you know, this whole the messianic meal at the inauguration of his coming kingdom, we have this to look forward to. You know, the passage helps us to understand that Jesus' words, it will be good for those whose master finds them in so doing. We'll be blessed if we are ready, serving and ready to serve, dressed for action, lights on, ready to go. The question that I have for you is this, are you serving? Are the lights on? Are you looking for his return? I want to be honest with you about something. I I try to be honest with you about a lot of things, but specifically in this particular area, what I mean by that is open and transparent, you know, me personally. And that is that there are many times where I don't give the second coming of the Lord a second thought until I'm going through a very difficult period of time. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I don't know how many times I've been with an MRI and a CAT scan or something laying there thinking, now would be a great time for you to return. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's just me. But, you know, is that not true of your life? When do you think about Jesus' return? Isn't it unfortunately only when everything else in life looks bleak? When things are going good, man, and we're, you know, we've got our A game going and everything's running full cylinder and man, boom, 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 everything's fine. It's like, oh, the return of Jesus. Some of us are disappointed if we thought he would come back now. This is the greatest time of my life. You know, it's kind of like, you know, I look forward to, to uh, having our first service at the church. And yet I'm going to tell you right now, if the Lord decides to come before the construction's done, I am not going to be disappointed by any of that. I'm looking forward to that. I long for that. I look forward to and I pray for God to draw many people to himself through our ministry. I look forward to every person that comes to faith in Christ and is built up in their faith. But I'm telling you right now, when Jesus comes, none of us are going to be disappointed by his appearance. Unless, of course, you don't know him. And we'll talk about that in a second. But the reality of it is, is that, you know, and and I see this all the time. It's like, oh, no, Lord, don't come now. We just set our wedding date for January. (laughs) You know, it's like, you know, and and please don't come from the time the ceremony takes place till the time the honeymoon takes place. (laughs) 
You know, it's like, hey, now, you know, can you just wait another week? And it's like as if somehow or another God's kingdom is going to disappoint us. It's like, oh, man, think about it. You got to be kidding me. You know, and as we look at this, he also uses the second common occurrence, unfortunately, of his day. And that has to do with the common occurrence of a thief. You know, if you look at this, among all the sayings of Jesus, there are none that are more clearly evidenced in the writings of the apostles than this particular truth. Paul wrote, For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you brothers are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. And the point that he's making is he said, hey, and be sure of this in verse 39. That if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into, right? Duh. I'll never forget when, we, we, when Lynn and I had first come to faith in Christ. We drove home from work one day and drove into the driveway and I looked at her and she looked at me and we looked out in the middle of our lawn and I said to her, did you leave, you know, did you leave the kitchen screen out in the middle of the lawn before we left this morning? <laughs> because I know I didn't put the kitchen screen you know, window out in the middle of the lawn before we left. And it was like, and the window's wide open and the curtains are blowing and the screen's out in the middle of the lawn. And it was just like, ooh, this isn't good. You know, and, 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 you know, and our house had gotten burglarized and everything that we had held, you know, this is how God, this is a beautiful thing about how God does things. He just stripped us of everything that we thought was important so that we can focus again on he's all that really matters. But anyway, but, but, but the thought was this, if I had known what time someone was coming to rob our house, I would at least had the police waiting, you know, it w- I mean, wouldn't you? And so all Jesus is asking a simple question. If you knew what time your house was going to be robbed, wouldn't you do something about it? And the answer is, well, of course. Well, you know what? And that's why he said, you too be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Question for you. Do you believe that Jesus is coming back today? Now, listen. If you say no, it's on a day just like that. Say, no, I don't really think so. Well, guess what? The day we don't think so is the day that it'll happen. Now, that sounds unfair because we're 750,000 days further into God's program than at the time he was speaking these words. But the reality is this. I know one thing. Today, we're one day closer than we were yesterday. Think about that, huh? Think about that. It's a math problem, but, you know, that's just the truth. We're one day closer. And the reality of it is this. Are you ready? Are you ready? A second problem that relates to being ready for the Lord's return is the problem of procrastination. Notice this. It has to do with the imagery of a steward. A steward was basically a slave who was put in a responsible position. And so Peter, as he was listening to this, said, Lord, are you addressing this parable to us or to everyone else as well? 
And what he's saying is, okay, are you addressing this parable to us as the leaders, the 12 apostles, or to everybody else, all of your disciples, or to all people? I mean, who are you addressing this to? And that's a very valid question. And so when we look at this, he's addressing it not just to leaders. And, and you know what? And, and when, you, when you think about it, it would appear that he has in mind all disciples, not just the leaders and not all of humanity. And we'll see that in a second. So he starts off with the good news in verses 42 through 44. And he says, And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time? So what, do you want to know who it is? Well, blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Now, turn ahead to Luke chapter 19 and look at verses 15 through 17, and it'll help us to understand this passage in Luke chapter 12. In Luke chapter 19, we have the parable of the ten minus. And and as we look at this, in verses uh, specifically 15 through 17... He says, and it came about that when he returned, after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him in order that he might know what business they had done. And the first appeared saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing, be in authority over ten cities." And then he goes on to explain the level of faithfulness. Now, as to the nature, going back to Luke chapter 12, the nature of these rewards have to do with some type of eternal authority. We don't know exactly what that's going to be. But we recognize that when Jesus comes and establishes kingdom here on earth, you and I as God's people, those who have trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, believed upon him as our savior, our children of God, those who believe in his name, listen carefully, you and I will be given responsibilities in the kingdom of God that will be commensurate with our faithfulness now. We're being trained for our future assignments in the kingdom of God. And the question is this, who then is the faithful servant? He or she is the one who was found faithful in doing what God has called you to do today, and you have been faithful to exercise the gift or gift that God has given you, The fruitfulness is all in God's hand because God is the one who who, uh, is responsible for growth. Our responsibility is to be obedient. Now ask yourself this simple question. What am I doing today that uses the spiritual gift or gifts that God has given me in such a manner that I am encouraging others in their walk with the Lord or, or furthering the kingdom of God, am I doing anything like that? And if I am, then I can look prospectively towards a future where God says, I will then bless you, reward you accordingly, and then you will have future responsibilities based on what you're doing today. Now, granted, there's many of us are not even cognizant of that. It's not that we do these things with that awareness, but it's an understanding we need to have because it's a motivation in order to serve God today. We need to be living in light of his promises tomorrow. What are you doing? If you're serving him, 
then you will be rewarded accordingly. If you are not doing anything, then that judgment day will be a sad day for you because you'll recognize and understand that the temporary things of this lifetime kept you from receiving the greatest blessings that were yet to be gained. We need to be ready. We need to be serving. We need to be doing so with a cheerful heart and a giving spirit. And one day we'll be rewarded accordingly. And we praise God for His promises. And we look forward to those. We live prospectively, knowing that our toil in the Lord is not in vain. You know, there was a point where Peter asked this question, Lord, you know what, what's in it for us? I mean, why should we give up our fishing village and our fishing business and all that comes with it and all the material things of this world? Why should we give all this stuff up and follow you? And Jesus, with a smile on his face, looked at him and said, you know what, surely I tell you this, that whatever you give up will be returned to you a hundredfold in the kingdom of God. I've got blessings in store for you that will just just blow your socks off if you had them. <laughs> you know, I got blessings stored up for you that your mind can't even conceivably understand. But it is all based on your faithfulness today. Are you faithful? Are you faithful? Now the warning goes on and you'll notice blessed is the slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes, truly I say to you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But, and there's a huge contrast here, if that slave says in his heart, my master will be gone a long time, and he begins beating slaves, both men and women, and to eat and to drink and get drunk, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and assign him in a place with the unbelievers." You know, as we read this, we're very troubled because the reality of this is it talks about being cut him into pieces and to be cut off and assign him a place with the unbelievers. And there's a warning here that's very clear, and that is this. There are those who are pretenders and those who are possessors. There are those who pretend to have eternal life. There are those who truly possess eternal life. And it is our lifestyle that indicates what is true of our hearts. Faith without works is dead. And the reason is very simple. Because a person who is truly born again will be compelled to do the works that God has called us to do. Who has the love of God within them? Well, how can you say that you love your brother and see him in need and not act upon that? Surely God's love is not in you because God's love meets the needs of others. And so the warning all through Scripture is this. Hey, you know what? Don't misunderstand because you're sitting in church or somehow you got through a membership process or somehow you're serving in some area that that makes you right with God because it's by grace through faith that a person becomes born again. It's by grace through faith and not of ourselves. It's a gift from God so that no one can boast. And Jesus warns here very clearly that, you know, a guy can stand in the pulpit and say, you know, the Bible says, like Billy Graham says it, the Bible says, you know, and and, and it doesn't mean anything to God because it's his life and his heart that is reflective of a person who 
either knows Christ or does not. There are many people who can live a facade and hypocritical, but behind closed doors, who they really are is unveiled. And seeing God knows all of that. I've heard horror stories about preachers' kids who saw things from their, quote, pastor, you know, their dad, that would just make your, 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 your hair stand up on end. And it makes you wonder about a person's true spiritual condition. And we need to recognize and understand it's by God's grace that we're saved through faith. It's not a question of a position that we hold or what we do for him. Because what Jesus clearly warns is this. Is this really indicative of one of God's people? That he would beat both men and women? Get drunk? Not be expecting his return? Not looking forward to with anticipation? He will be cut off and cut in pieces and assigned in a place with unbelievers. And that slave who knew his master's will and did, did, and did not get ready or act in according with his will shall receive many lashes. But the one who did not know and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but a few. And it has to do with the righteous judgment of God. Those who act in ignorance, God knows whether it's ignorant, but it doesn't mean that we're to be ignorant because we're to search the scriptures and know the truth of God. Those who know what to do and do not do it, James 4.17 says, to him it is sin. If God is calling you to do something and you don't do it, even though God's not calling the person next to you to do it, if you don't do it, to you it is sin, and God will hold you accountable for what he's calling you to do. And he's saying that will not God, a righteous God, judge righteously? You know, there isn't anything that's going to be judged of anybody that's not going to be a righteous judgment. And then he says this, And from everyone who has been given much shall much be required. And to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask all the more. You and I have been entrusted with much. Just stop and think about it. We have the entire word of God. We have every promise that God has made in a language that you and I can read and understand. We have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, those who are born again, who lives within us. We have been given spiritual gifts or a gift to use to the exercise of God's for his glory and for his kingdom and for his purposes. Too much has been given, much is required. God requires much of us. Too much has been entrusted. You and I have been entrusted with the knowledge of the mysteries of God. And because of that, they will ask all the more. It's a wonderful passage that can either set you free or really lay some burdens on you. And you know what? And, and the only, you know, the burden of not serving is easily remedied by confessing and agreeing with God. I've lived a pretty self-centered, selfish life. I'm doing nothing in light of your return. God, help me to discern what that gift or gifts are so that I can use them for your glory and for your purposes. May I not be so sidetracked by the temporary riches of this world and those things that are fleeting that I miss, you know, the future blessings that you have for me in eternity. God, help me to understand what is it that you want me to do. I don't care about anybody else and what you want them to do. Lord, what is it that you're calling me to do? And God, may I be obedient to do so. 
You know, the other problems are the problem of purpose. When we see in verses 49 through 53, I've come to cast fire upon the earth, Jesus says, and how I wish it were already kindled. Fire has to do with judgment, but I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it's accomplished. Before this time, he had not yet gone to the cross. He, has not, he had not yet shed his blood for the remission of sin. And he looked forward to that day he came to seek and to serve uh, that whom he has been given. He says, do we suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? I tell you that no, rather than divisions. And this is really comforting for me, and I hope it's comforting for you, because the bottom line is this. Those of us who have come to faith in Christ and live an obedient life, you know what? Don't expect the world to embrace you. Don't expect your family to embrace you. How many right now are struggling with the fact that as a son, your father has this one thing against you? You are a Jesus freak. How many fathers have a son that has that against them? How many mothers have a daughter that have that against them? How many daughters have a mother or an in-law that has that against them? You know, it's just a shame because if they weren't into this Jesus thing, maybe we could get along. He said, I didn't come that, you know, everybody's going to sing Kumbaya together. I came to set you free from sin. I came to tell you the truth. There's only one way to heaven and that's through me. And when you share that truth with others, guess what? If they don't repent, they will not like hearing what you just had to say. Because it's inevitable what the conclusion is. If I don't repent and trust in Christ, I'm going to hell. Yes, that is exactly what the Word of God teaches. Who wants to hear that? Well, I'll tell you who wants to hear it, those who are seeking God. What do I need to do? Repent and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? then that's exactly what I'll do because I'm seeking God with all my heart and whoever does will not be disappointed. So, you know, the the whole purpose was that he would come to set us free from sin. You know, the priorities in verses 53 through 59 will end on this. He says, and I was saying to the multitudes, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say a shower is coming and so it turns out. When you see a south wind blowing, you say it's going to be a hot day and it turns out. They They were readily reading the weather. I was watching, uh, I think it was uh, something on TV yesterday, and, and they, they had a break because the weather report said there's a hurricane or a tornado that was a tornado alert. They were watching the weather, said, hey, it looks like a tornado's coming. And they stopped play so that no one would be injured in case it ha- actually happened. You know, you and I watch the weather report, say, hey, you know, the winds are going to be coming out of the east. Ooh, typical Santa Ana conditions. It's going to be hot. These people, like people today, could look around them and tell what the weather was going to be like. They could see the signs and be able to anticipate a future event. Jesus said to those who were hearing him, you hypocrites. You see the signs and say it's going to be a hot day. You see the signs and say it's going to rain. You see the signs and say this is going to happen or that's going to happen. And yet, you don't even look for or see the sign that's standing before you, the greatest sign of all of God, Jesus Christ, in human flesh, standing before you, preaching God's truth. And I'm telling you what will happen in the future. And you say you can't see that, but you can see whether it's going to rain tomorrow or not. You can't see it because you're not looking for it. Look and you will see. Seek and you will find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. He's saying get your priorities straight. Why do you not even on your own initiative judge what is right? This whole passage deals with being ready for the return of Jesus Christ. Again, I ask, are you ready? 
And the way that we get ready is summarized in two simple words. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready by living a godly life that reflects the abundant truth that God has given us. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live with self-control, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. How do we get ready? By saying no to ungodly living. Be not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. Are you saying no to ungodly living? Be ready by warning others of the coming judgment of God. Not many of us share that with others, do we? We share, you need to know Jesus. But you know what? They will only have an incentive to know Jesus if they understand that Jesus is their only Savior from the wrath of God. By warning others of the coming judgment of God, Jesus Christ will return one day and He will judge the living and the dead. All judgment has been given to Him. At His name, He has been given a name above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He's Lord to the glory of God. We need to warn others of the coming judgment. In a book out of Africa, one night after midnight, Camonte suddenly walked into my bedroom with a hurricane lamp in his hand, silent as if on duty. He spoke to me very solemnly, and he said this, I think that you had better get up. I think that God is coming. When I heard this, I did get up, and I asked why he thought so. And he gravely led me into the dining room, which looked west toward the hills. And from the doors and the windows, I now saw a strange phenomenon. There was a big grass fire going on out in the hills, and the grass was burning all the way from the hilltop to the plain. When seen from the house, it was a nearly vertical line. And it did indeed look as if some gigantic figure was moving and coming towards us. I stood for some time and looked at it with Camante watching by my side. Then I began to explain the thing to him. But the explanation did not seem to make much impression on him one way or the other. He clearly took his mission to have being fulfilled when he had called me. And he said this, Well, yes, it may be so, but I thought that you had better get up in case it was God who was coming. Just in case... Be ready, just in case. Be awake. People have been wrong in the past about when he would come, but make no mistake about it, one day he is coming. Our responsibility is to warn others of the coming judgment of God, either at the return of Jesus Christ or at their departure from this life into his presence. We are to be committed to reach this world with God's word. We have been entrusted with the mysteries of the knowledge of God to warn others of what they don't even begin to understand, that they are held accountable for their sins. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you 
Thank you for your reminder once again in your word of the coming of our Savior. May we be ready. May we be willing. May we be working. God, may we be busy doing the things that you have called for us to do, the works that you have ordained for each one of us before the foundation of the world. God, I pray for those who are hearing this now and they're not even sure of their relationship with you. God, they can look and tell us that the weather is going to be clear today or cloudy tomorrow or the Santa Ana winds are going to blow or whatever it is. They can see the signs of the times. God, help them to see the signs of the times of your coming. Help them to see and and recognize their need for forgiveness, to recognize their sinfulness. For none of us are righteous, no, not one. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the reason that all of us die physically is because that we have already died spiritually. We're born into the world separated from you. God, may we be those who have trusted you, be like that servant in Africa who says, it is my responsibility to warn you of the coming of God so that you will repent And that you will receive him as Lord and Savior, trusting in his death on the cross and the power of his resurrection, being born again by the will of God and not by your own efforts. God, I pray for those of us who have come to know you, and more importantly, that you know us by name. That we would be busy serving you, and all the more as we see the day of your return drawing near. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.